0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. And as you know, all of those are interconnected, right? So often how we think about something is influenced by how we feel about something. And the actions that we take are shaped by the combination of our emotions and the way we think about things, so they're all connected. So we want to look at all three of these areas of our lives as we think about being people of truth. So last week, Pastor Mark, I know, preached the first part of the message as we thought about being people of truth in our thinking, and today I want to bring the second part of the message, which is also focused on right thinking and being people of truth in how we think. And uh, today, I want to have a, a slightly different emphasis than where we were last week. And Mark and I worked on these messages together, and uh, we think that they do a pretty good job complementing each other as uh, we think about what it means to be people of truth. So, I want you uh, to do a little um, exercise or activity this morning as we start our message and as we think about what it means to be people of truth in our thinking. So I want you to use your imaginations this morning. Is that okay? If I ask you to use your imaginations as we come to church this morning. And what I want you to do is I want you to picture a desert. Okay, so if you need to close your eyes to just really work your imagination, or if you can just picture a desert, and it's dry, and it's dusty, and there's some rocks lying around, and you're kind of walking through this desert, and it's dry and it's dusty and there's rocks and as you're walking you see something in the distance it catches your eye and as you keep walking you you want to look closer you're drawn to whatever you say well everything around me is dry and dusty and rocky I'm going to go check out whatever it is that I see over here looks a little different and as you get closer you realize it's actually a, a clump of trees that are growing in the middle of this desert so visualize what that would look like. As you get closer, you realize these trees are really healthy. They have lots of green leaves. And they look really. these trees look really good. In the midst of all of this desert and barrenness and dryness and dustiness and rocks, there's these trees that are growing. And they're tall. And they're green. And they're full of life. So you're really curious, how is this possible? And as you get closer, you get right there and you look down and you see that these trees are right beside a river. They're right beside a river. And that is what keeps these trees full of life. Keeps them green and keeps them healthy in the midst of all of this barrenness. Well, that picture is what opens the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 1, we have a picture of what it looks like To be a righteous person. And the image that's used is of a tree that's planted by a river. And it's a picture in the scriptures of what it looks like to live a life that is shaped by wisdom. And is shaped by truth. Because it is a life that is rooted in God's word. And that picture is a very, very powerful image. It's something that we can easily imagine, that we can think of. And the image... Of a tree uh, as the image of a righteous life is something that we see recurring throughout Scripture. The image of a tree growing in the middle of this barren wilderness is the image of a righteous person whose life is rooted in God's Word in the midst of a culture and a society that is barren, that is dry. And so our lives are to be like that tree, to be grounded in God's word, healthy, full of life, bearing fruit in the midst of a dry and barren landscape. So how do we live a life that looks like that? Well, I want to look at that. Is this going to just work magically? Okay, so we did this. We pictured the way of wisdom as that tree. So how would we live that type of life? How would we live that type of life? Like that tree in the middle of the wilderness, full of life. Well, I want to share an insight from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And Paul writes in at least three different places about something that he calls the mindset of Christ Jesus, or even the mind of Christ. So as Christians today... We want to live this life that is shaped by right thinking, to be people of truth. To live this life of wisdom. How can we actually do that? How can we actually do that? And I think Paul gives us a clue here as he writes in Romans chapter 15 and also in Philippians chapter 2. In Romans 15, 5, he writes, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. And In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So, as we think about our lives and as we relate to each other, there's something here Paul is telling us that we can have the mindset of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting insight, Paul. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul just very clearly states, he said, but we have the mind of Christ. As Christians, we have the mind of Christ, In our culture today, I think we really desire and seek and need to be people of truth and also people of, of right thinking. We live in an era where we've come up with a couple of terms to describe the kind of crazy, crazy times we live in, right? We live in an era of fake news and alternative facts. That's, those are strange terms when you really stop and think about it, right? And yet, those are common in our language now because... We have come up with them in the last couple of years, right? But we live in a, in a time where truth is so often shaped by who says it, right? From what side or what perspective. And instead we want to be like that tree where the roots don't go sideways to who said this and who said that. We want our roots to go deep and to go deep into one particular place. And that's into God's Word. So this morning what I want to do is, is have us think about... Uh, the mind of Christ and what that might look like what it might be to have the mind of Christ in the life uh, in our lives as a life of a Christian I think one important thing to note is that Jesus just like all of us he was heavily shaped and influenced by his childhood and by his upbringing and I don't we don't really have a whole lot about Jesus life as a child that we can read about it in the Gospels, right? The Gospels really quickly get us to his public ministry. But we, um, we can imagine a few things. We can, we can fill in the blanks about what Jesus' childhood would have looked like. Because Jesus was raised, we know, as a Jewish child. He was raised as a Jewish boy. He would have been raised to really know the Old Testament. He would have been raised uh, to go to... Uh, the, the festivals in Jerusalem. We, in fact, we know he did go to a festival in Jerusalem when he was age 12. We know that um, he had parents, Mary and Joseph. We know he had brothers and sisters. And so we know that Jesus' life would have been shaped by living in a small village in a not very important little town under the influence of the Roman Empire living as a Jew, shaped by following the the Jewish uh, patterns of life. But Jesus also would have been shaped by his father's occupation. And what did Joseph do? He was a carpenter, right? Or a laborer of some type. And so what did that mean for Jesus? It meant that Jesus' life would have been heavily influenced by his father's work growing up. Jesus would have watched his father make things, start a project from start to finish, envision what it looked like, select the right material, select the right tools, and Jesus would have been raised to be that type of person. So that by the time Jesus was entering his public ministry, he would be very aware of what it took to follow his human father's instructions, to know what it was to to work with his hands, to build things To envision what it looked like to follow something through right to the end. Jesus was heavily shaped in his lifestyle, but in his thinking, even by his human family. So what I want to do today is think about what it means to potentially have this mind of Christ. What this might look like for us. Now the challenge for us is that we don't have Jesus himself writing the gospels. So we don't really know directly in some ways what Jesus thought, but we can read the Gospels and we can really start to make some 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 good bring together some good ideas about what it looks like in terms of what Jesus thought about. It. So what I want to do is have us think about this whole idea of the mindset of Christ and what did Jesus think about. It. We often in our sermons and maybe in our own scripture reading, we often focus on what Jesus did and we focus on what Jesus said. So those are the things that are so kind of obvious as we read the scriptures. But I want to this morning have us consider what did Jesus think about? It? Because how Jesus thought really heavily influenced his ministry and the things that he did. And I'm going to propose to you four areas, or four things that I think Jesus thought about. It. And then I want to in the second part of the message this morning present four areas that I think really show us the ways in which Jesus thought. So what did Jesus think about, and then what patterns of thinking did Jesus have? So let's start with what did Jesus think about. And I think that Jesus really thought a lot about God's will. Jesus thought a lot about God's will. As you read the Gospels, you really get a sense that Jesus is very focused on following the will of God his Father. In John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus is speaking and he says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. There are multiple times in the Gospels where Jesus makes it very clear that the things he's doing, the the message he's preaching, is shaped by the will of God the Father. And Jesus says, orients his life around following God's will. And that means he must have thought about what it meant to follow God's will. So, Jesus, we often uh, focus on his divine nature, that he's the Son of God. And that's incredibly important to keep in mind. But there are the, the, there's the human part of Jesus' life and ministry that I've kind of been thinking about a little more in preparation for this message. And especially thinking about what were the rhythms and the patterns of Jesus' day like. And I think when Jesus got up in the morning and he went to pray before God, I think one of the things he was thinking about was God, how do I follow your will today? What is your will for my life today? We see a great example of Jesus wrestling in prayer to follow God's will when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross. And in Luke 22, it says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was very focused on following God's will. And I think that must have meant that even in his thinking, he was always thinking about how do I follow God's will? So in your life, how are you discerning the will of God? Are you taking time to ask God for direction? Are you in prayer about the shape your life should take and how you can follow God's will? The second thing I think that Jesus thought about is his own mission and his place in the world. Because Jesus was so focused on following God's will, I think the next part of that is to then think about the specific mission and purpose that Jesus had. So Jesus is following God's will, And he's intent on thinking about God's will. And as part of that, then he begins to focus on what is his particular purpose? What is his particular mission in following God's will? Now, there are lots and lots of answers to what this could look like, but I think we get a good indication of this in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, you can tell early in his ministry, is thinking about, as I follow God's will, what's my particular purpose? And of course, as we've read the gospel start to finish, we know ultimately Jesus' purpose, right, as Messiah, as Savior. But Jesus had to think about, how do I live this out every day? And Jesus had a unique mission, of course, but each one of us are called into something, called to follow in God's plans and purposes for our lives. And just like Jesus, as we submit to God's will, God will have a plan and a purpose He'll reveal to us. So in your life, are you aware of, are you increasingly familiar with the mission, the purpose, and the place that God has for you in this world? Are you, as you submit to God's will for your life, are you becoming more aware of your gifts and of your talents? The ways in which God has made you? The ways in which your life experience has shaped you and positioned you? Are you, like Jesus, focused on your particular mission and place and purpose? Jesus, I think, was also very Concerned with serving others. As Jesus follows the will of God the Father, as he lives out his particular purpose and mission, that mission uh, meant that he was serving others. Uh, Jesus, we know from Scripture, lived a perfectly holy and sinless life. So he was very concerned with himself in that regard. He ensured that he lived a perfect, holy, and sinless life. However, in doing that, he also was so totally focused on other people. Jesus was so focused on other people. If you can imagine the opposite of a self-centered life, that's what Jesus lived, right? It's actually hard for us to envision that because we love to have ourselves at the center of our lives. As much as we try to Move away from that as Christians, it's just it's hard for us oftentimes to move away from having ourselves at the center if we're being totally honest. But Jesus, when we look at him, he lived such a non-self-centered life where he was so oriented on serving others. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, now, it's, it's very possible that Jesus, in his, in his perfect divine nature, already kind of knew all of the interactions and encounters he would have with people. But I'm going to give you another alternative to think about this morning. That perhaps Jesus, as he woke up every morning, as he discerned and submitted to God's will, as he thought about what's his purpose and plan, I wonder if Jesus was so open to God's will that he said, Father God, who do I need to serve today? Who is it that you have for me to meet with today? What group of people will I be teaching and encouraging today? Who will I heal? Who will be delivered through my work today? That Jesus was keeping his eyes open at all times. Who can I serve today? In John chapter 13, we have an incredible picture of Jesus serving. And Jesus is with his closest followers, his disciples. And they uh, come into a home and Jesus starts to get some water. And he gets a towel and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And uh, what's the disciples' reaction to Jesus doing this? Are they happy? Uh, No, actually, they are not happy about this. So... There's actually two reasons, I think, that they're not happy about this. So number one, Jesus is taking on the literal work of a servant. So people in that day would get, you know, they were hot and dusty from, from walking to and fro the different places they would go to. And when they'd go inside a home, their feet would be washed by a servant. To wash the dust off their feet as a, as a way to refresh them and to really signify they had come into a different space. But this was always a servant's job. So, the disciples have given up everything to follow Jesus. He's the rabbi, he's the teacher, he's their leader, he's their example. And so Jesus, by washing their feet, just turns everything around, right? He takes the place of a servant when he should socially be the one who's in charge, right? So the disciples are very, they feel really uncomfortable. They feel... They feel really bad that Jesus is washing their feet. It should be the other way around, if anything. But I think the bigger, bigger problem for the disciples is if Jesus is washing their feet and they're supposed to pattern their lives after him, then whose feet are they going to have to wash? <laughs> so, in your life, how are you serving others? In what ways are you taking time to ask God for direction and how you can serve others. Now, what needs do you know of in the community as ways that you can serve? Is your life oriented for serving others? The final area I want to talk about this morning and what Jesus thought about is the kingdom. It's the kingdom. When Jesus starts his, his earthly ministry, he is preaching and he... Uh, Has a has a core message, and that core message, as he opens his ministry, is the kingdom of God is at hand. Sometimes he refers to this as the kingdom of heaven, but he's talking a lot about this thing called the kingdom, and the kingdom is this this whole new reality that Jesus is bringing, and and he's talking about, and he's showing us through his actions, he's talking about and describing through his words, and it's it's one of those things that it's like a whole new reality. The kingdom is this whole new reality. Have you ever read the Gospels and Jesus does something really good, really great, and then there's people that get really upset about it? And there's like this tension and these questions and this back and forth and you might wonder why would people get so upset when Jesus does a really good thing for someone, when Jesus heals someone or delivers someone? Well, I think the main issue there is that Jesus is bringing in the kingdom, which has a whole different set of values and principles and ways of living. And that's coming into our world, and there's a clash right there because the kingdom is radically different than the patterns and the systems of this world. And Jesus is bringing in the kingdom, and he is focused on what the kingdom is about. In Luke chapter 4, verse... 43, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because that is why I was sent. In Luke 8, verse 1, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. A little bit later, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus brought the kingdom, he proclaimed the kingdom, he lived out the kingdom, and then he turned her on to his closest followers and said, now it's your turn to live out the kingdom. And he equipped them to live in this reality of the kingdom of God. So in your life, how much do you know about the kingdom of God? As you read scripture, do you read scripture to try to understand this new kingdom reality? Are you open to the kingdom in the present? Recognizing that the fullness of the kingdom is yet to come. But are your eyes open to see the work of the kingdom, even in our own midst? These are four areas, I think, that Jesus thought about. But I think also as important is, how did Jesus think? What was the pattern of his mindset? What was his pattern of thinking? What ways did he approach thinking about his own life and what he saw around him. I think the first thing that we notice in Scripture, in the reading of the Gospels, is that Jesus' thinking was informed by Scripture. Jesus' thinking was informed by Scripture. Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, was raised as a Jewish boy through his adolescence into his adult years. He would have been raised with a very thorough understanding of what we call the Old Testament. He would have been very familiar with the story of Abraham and the patriarchs and Moses and the law and the prophets and the writings. Jesus would have known all about the Old Testament. And Jesus often used the Old Testament to to make connections with what has been written. And what his ministry looked like, especially in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, very, very early on in Jesus' ministry, he has been baptized. He goes into the wilderness for forty days. He's there praying and fasting. And the Bible, in a very understated way, says after forty days of fasting that Jesus was hungry. I'll bet he was. He was human after all, and so he's hungry. And what happens is the enemy comes to tempt him. Right at the start of his ministry. And what does Jesus do or say in response? Uh, Jesus actually lets Scripture be his response. Jesus actually quotes Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8, and Psalm 91 as his response to the temptations of the enemy. Jesus' ways of thinking were influenced by Scripture. Jesus' thought in ways that were influenced by Scripture. So in your life, how are you becoming more familiar with Scripture? And, and I don't just mean, do you know the stories and the people of Scripture? That's, that's really important. It's really important to know all the major stories of Scripture, to know about the major people in Scripture, to know about Moses and Abraham, to know about David, and to know about, about the prophets, and to know about Jesus, and to know about Paul, and to know the story of what we see presented in Scripture. But it's also important to read Scripture in a way where it starts to shape your thinking. Where you begin to think in ways that are biblically informed. Where as you think, it's the patterns of your thinking that actually have been shaped by Scripture. And that's the life that Jesus lived. So how are you reading Scripture so that it's not just informing you of what happened, but also is shaping your thinking? Jesus also was very, very interested in connecting the truth of God, the truth of the kingdom, with with people's everyday lives. And especially, he would use language that people understood. Jesus would use language that people readily understood. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the kingdom of God is this completely new reality that was coming to earth, that Christ was bringing, that he was teaching about, everything he's doing is shaped by this thing called the kingdom. Well, what's the problem with any new thing or any new reality? Well, one of the problems is how do you talk about it in a way that actually makes sense, right? And we do this in our lives all the time. When there's something that's completely new, we often try to find something else that's like that in order to make a connection, right? And so I was preaching at Vine last night and I used this example where say there's a new restaurant that opens and somebody said and you say, Hey we went to this restaurant last night, say great, what was it like? Well you're like, well it's kind of like the you know that other place? It's like that one except it's a little more like this, right? And so in Jesus talking about the kingdom, I think he was really engaging his mind throughout his ministry to figure out what do people do every day? What does the pattern of their lives look like? What types of things are of interest to people? What things do they concern themselves with in that everyday patterns and rhythms of their lives? And I think that, again, it's very possible Jesus didn't have to do this because of his divine nature, but I'm really, as I've thought about this, I've been really intrigued by the idea that Jesus maybe got up in the morning... As he prays before God, seeks God's will, seeks God's purpose, wants to serve others, wants to bring in the kingdom, he thinks, I wonder what what I'm going to see today that's going to give me a little glimpse of the kingdom that I can share with other people. And we see lots of examples in this, of this pattern, uh, through what we call the parables, Jesus teaching through parables. Um, There's a couple of them that we read about in Matthew chapter 13, for example, um, in Matthew chapter 13 Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as like a, a treasure hidden in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field so can you imagine a field and can you imagine a great treasure that's the level that Jesus was Preaching at and teaching at. It's really, really simple, right? And the idea that we would, in our lives, just come across something that was of such incredible value that we just instinctively know, I've got to make this the core thing of my life. If I was to not make this the core thing of my life, I would be so foolish. This thing is of such great value. That's the kingdom. He also says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Where When when what you are looking for, your life's goal, when you find that thing that you know is the difference maker, this is the opportunity I have been waiting a lifetime for. And what do you do? You go all in on that thing. You go all in on that opportunity. That's the language Jesus was using to describe the value of the kingdom. Another part of Scripture we read in the Gospels that Jesus described the the response that people have in their hearts to God's word. And Jesus uses the image of a sower sowing seed. And that day, people would have a a bag with seed, and they would throw it, and they would would get the seed into into the ground, we know what that is like, right? We know what it means to put seed into the ground and to, and to wait for the harvest to come. We know that some soil is way better suited for seed than other soil. Jesus' hearers knew that. That, for some of them, was their, was their livelihood. That was what they did. That was the pattern and the rhythm of their lives. And Jesus uses it to communicate the idea that some people will hear God's word and respond in incredible ways where their hearts are so ready to hear God's word, where it bears an incredible fruit and harvest in their lives. Whereas other people hear the same message, and that, that, that message doesn't do anything to change that person's heart. And Jesus uses everyday imagery to communicate that. So in your life, are you able to communicate clearly the things of God to people who have no idea what God is like? Do you have language, ideas, images of what God is like and how to communicate what He's like? Are you able to just look around at the patterns and the rhythms of how you live your life and how people you know live their lives and find points of connection to say, that thing that you work at or that thing that you do, you know, that reminds me of something about Jesus. Are you able to use the language and the patterns of the rhythms of your life to show people what God is like? Jesus also thought about individuals and systems. So I think in our reading of the gospels where we we gravitate towards and we recognize that Jesus would heal individual people. He would deliver individuals. He would radically alter the course of an individual's life. Right? But Jesus also was concerned with the systems that governed how people lived, the patterns that governed how people live. What would be an example of this? In John chapter 2, Jesus has gone to the wedding feast and he's turned the water into wine. And then right after that, the next story we read from the gospels is that Jesus goes to the temple in Jerusalem and he goes to the temple courts and he finds people selling cattle and sheep and doves and sitting at tables and exchanging money so he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts that's a really interesting story as one of the very first stories to introduce Jesus' ministry right why did Jesus go in and turn the tables over in the temple courtyards? Was Jesus helping an individual? Well, I don't, not that we read of in this story. In fact, Jesus is actually challenging a system that was in place. Jesus was challenging a system that had emerged in the religious life of Israel that was actually keeping people from God rather than allowing people to draw near to God. And Jesus recognized a system that was in place that was oppressing people, keeping people back from meeting God. And Jesus went in and overturned that system through his ministry. Jesus recognized that when people live their individual lives, they live them under the influence of patterns and ways of life and systems that help to govern patterns of our everyday life. Another example, I think, that helps to share this this point is found in in the story where Jesus um, is, is presented or a woman is brought to Jesus who has been caught in the act of adultery. And I think that this story helps to bring together how Jesus both thought about individuals and systems. So this woman is brought before Jesus by religious leaders, and they want to catch Jesus out. They want, to, they want to trap him in a certain question, and basically they bring this woman before Jesus who's been caught in the act of adultery, and they really want to know what Jesus is going to say, and what does Jesus do in response? Jesus goes to the dirt, and he starts writing, and we don't know what he wrote, but we know how the story ends. And how the story ends is, it's just Jesus and that woman. And the whole crowd of people who were there, who had brought her, have disappeared. And Jesus shows extreme grace and love for that woman. In her moment of sinfulness, and her moment of shame, Jesus offers grace to her. So he ministers to her as an individual. But I think in the way that Jesus dealt with that situation, he also is challenging the system and the pattern of life that brought her there in the first place. Where the religious authorities wanted to use her sin as an example. Where the religious authorities had chosen to bring the woman before Jesus, but where is the man in this, okay, in this situation, right? Right? So there were patterns and systems in place that brought that woman before Jesus. And Jesus actually, through His wisdom, through His thinking, through His actions, brings freedom to that woman so her sins can be forgiven. And He also radically undermines the entire patriarchal and religious system that brought her there in the first place. That's pretty incredible. In your life, are you aware of the systems and the patterns by which we live, the realities that shape our world and especially the realities that keep people in patterns that we would describe as in un- unjust, where patterns of injustice keep people locked into cycles that they can't find their way out of. Where people, we just as we look at their everyday lives, we know that there's something that's larger that's influencing their lives and influencing their lives in ways that are not helpful, are not productive and not healthy. Are we able to see those patterns? Are we able to ask God for His wisdom and His truth? Jesus also thought about time and His position in the world in a really interesting way. Jesus was able to live fully in the present Jesus was able to live fully in the present, informed by and very aware of his background. But Jesus also was able to look forward in time and talk about the future and talk about what was coming. Jesus, raised as a Jewish boy, would have known about Israel's hope and desire and expectation for a Messiah, for a deliverer, for a Savior. Jesus would have known And been very aware of how he was fulfilling in his ministry the hopes and the dreams that Israel had. And in Matthew's gospel we see this all the time. Jesus always looking back, using scripture to talk about his ministry. Jesus also could look forward into the future. Jesus began to, towards the end of his life, really prepare his disciples and his followers. Hey, I'm going to be leaving and you guys are going to be in charge of fulfilling, carrying out the mission here on earth. Jesus was able to look into the future enough to help prepare his disciples for what was coming. Jesus also was able to look way into the future, to the final hope and restoration of God in the world. So Jesus was able to live fully in the present, fully aware of his past and what had come before him, and fully aware of the future hope and restoration and glory that was to come. In our lives, it's really hard for us to keep all of those time spans together in a healthy way. If we could do some type of survey, I'll bet we'd find that there are some people in here today who mentally and in their patterns of thinking really prefer to live in the past. You know, things were just better back in the day, right? You hear people talk about this sometimes, right? I remember in the good old days it was like this, this, and this. And mentally they long for a time that has already passed and probably won't return. But that's like your safe space, mentally, is to, is to look back. Other people, it's the opposite. They say, you know what, my past is kind of tough, it's difficult, and I really don't want don't to wanna think about that. What I am really interested in thinking about, though, is the future. And I know my life's going to be better when this future event happens when I reach this milestone, I'm going to become the person I want to be when this, this, and this happens. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to be sometime in the future. So mentally, I'm always going to live in the future. I'm always going to look forward to my next vacation, promotion, moving, whatever it is. And you put all your hope mentally in whatever that day looks like way down the road. And then there's some of us who just so completely live in the present We don't think about the past at all. We sure don't think about the future. We just are all about the present. Hey, whatever is good for right now, that's what I'm going to mentally focus on. And Jesus somehow is able to do all of it. He's so aware of who he is, influenced by his past. He's so aware of what he's doing in the moment, and he really knows the future hope that lies ahead it's really important for us to thoroughly take into account our past and how we've been shaped and what's come before. It's really important we live fully in the present before God and in our own lives and as we live in relationship with others. And it's really important that we look to the future hope that Christ offers. So, in what ways can you ask God for help in those three Areas, to think in healthy ways about the past and the future, and to be fully present. I want to take a moment to have you think on one final image this morning for just a couple of minutes. As we look at what Jesus thought about, it, I want to have you think back to where we started this morning the image of the tree. Full of life in the middle of the wilderness. It's a deep biblical image. But I want us to think about another tree this morning, and I want us to think specifically about the cross. The cross of Christ, or Christ died. Because in the cross, we see all of these things come together. On the cross, Jesus follows God's will, on the cross, Jesus is fulfilling his own. Unique and specific mission and place in the world. On the cross, Jesus is serving others. Serving them to the point where he dies for others, even those who would be considered his enemies. On the cross, Jesus brings in the kingdom in a radical way. On the cross, Jesus knows his death on the cross is informed by scripture, as you read the prophets, especially in Isaiah, we, we can kind of get an idea a general idea of what Jesus' death would look like. And even on the cross, Jesus is quoting scripture as he makes sense of what's happening. Jesus uses the cross to communicate something to people in a language they would understand. We often think of the cross as a religious symbol, in fact, we have it on the wall as a religious symbol, and, and that's that's important and that's good. But in the day that Jesus lived, the cross was not a religious symbol. It was a political symbol. and It was used by the Roman government of the time as a way to, to punish criminals. But it was also used as a sign to others. Hey, if you even think about opposing Roman rule, this is where you'll end up. It was a very powerful symbol. It was used as a deterrent and yet Jesus takes that symbol and he just completely flips it on its head. In doing so, Jesus on the cross we think Jesus that's the that's the means by which we have individual freedom and deliverance from sin where Jesus just dies in our place in such a, an incredible way and we think about that individually and that's appropriate. But Jesus also uses the cross to challenge the systems of this world. I want to talk about one of those systems. Jesus radically challenges the system of violence that is so present in our world, even to this day. The cross was a place where the Roman government would, through violent means, end the lives of criminals. Where they would... Use the threat of violence and the force of violence against people and against communities. And Jesus on the cross is subject to that violence. He takes all of that violence on himself. And what is the scariest thing for the Romans in the whole story of Jesus? They pour out all they can against Jesus, right? They give him the full works of violence. And what happens three days later? Jesus comes back. If you're in charge and you've used all your weapons against something, you don't have anything left, right? You've used it all, and yet Jesus comes back. That is the most threatening thing to those who were in charge. They don't have anything else they can do, right? Right? They've literally killed him once already through violence. And yet Jesus comes back and says, you know this kingdom I've been talking about? It's not ruled by violence. It's ruled by peace. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? That's really hard to get your head around, right? That the way of peace is greater than the way of violence. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. Finally, Jesus on the cross... It's looking back and looking ahead. Jesus, in that moment, is very aware. He needs to go to the cross to deal with the problem of sin and death and hell once and for all, so that we can have a glorious future. So we have the mind of Christ. As we live together, we are to have the mindset of Christ Jesus. And so this morning, I've given you a few my ideas in reading the Gospels of what this mindset of Christ looks like. And so this morning as I close, I want to pray for us as a church that we would increasingly have the mindset of Christ and how we live. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for each person who's here this morning. Thank you for each individual. I thank you for each family. And I pray God for your peace and your blessing on each one. I pray God that you would strengthen each one of us to live in the mindset of Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, to seek your face, to know what it is to live a righteous life shaped by wisdom, full of life with the mindset of Christ. Help us, God, to seek your face and to live fully as your children. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.